and welcome to Bubbly Bibbly, the podcast about books and bubbles, literature and libations, authors and alcohol. We love books and bubbly. We are friends who offer a curated book review section on our website and a hilarious podcast. We discuss books, drinks, and stories from our lives. I'm Rachel. And I am Carmen. Have you ever noticed how many times the saying, give me a break, is used? Well, we use it to tell someone to stop bothering us, so I guess it can be a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I never really considered it until I started typing up this episode, and I recalled several of them. And the first, of course, was a sitcom in the 1980s starring the late and great comedian Nell Carter. It was about a housekeeper who worked for a retired police chief and his three daughters. And of course, the housekeeper was Nell Carter, and she ran the household with wit and laughter. I love that show, and I watched it every Thursday night. It was such a good little show. When I think of the catchphrase, I think of the Kit Kat bar commercial. But did you know that it started first as have a break, have a Kit Kat, but then it changed through the years to give me a break, give Give me me a a break, break break me me off off a piece piece of that that Kit Kat bar. That iconic tune, if you grew up somewhere in the last 30 years, you know it. And of course, now it's stuck in your head. Sorry, (laughs) not sorry about that. (laughs) Usually it means that you don't believe something that someone's telling you. Give me a break. But the first time I remember hearing it was when Elliot told his little sister Gertie that only kids could see E.T. and not grown-ups. And her response was, oh, give me a break. I, okay. I love that it was just, it came from this adorable little six-year-old Drew Barrymore. She could... Because she had been any cuter in that. I oh, mean, I know. And you know, can she be any cuter now? No. <laughs> She's still pretty cute. But in this case, we mean it a little more literally. Literally, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, Carmen and I are talking about books that we have read that caused us to need a little break before starting another. Hey, Bubbly Bibliophiles, did you know that you can now leave a voice message for Rachel and me? Go to www.bubblybibbly.com, click on the contact tab, and scroll down to the bottom where there's a button for you to leave up to 120 seconds of anything you want to say. We hope to hear from you. Okay, Carmen, so I... I bought some pineapple juice this week to try some new cocktails. So tonight, I'm showing you, I'm drinking a Park Avenue. Yes, with a straw. (laughs) It's similar (laughs) to a martini. (laughs) Because I'm bougie that way, girl. (laughs) It's similar to a martini, but not as dry. So it is a gin-based drink. 
Oh, well, I hope that we get the recipe on the cocktails page. Yeah. All right. I did a TikTok video a few weeks ago with me making an Aperol spritz, which, by the way, was very refreshing. Um, I used all of my Aperol on that one. So tonight, I know. So tonight I'm having another favorite drink and a drink that I discovered thanks to one of the books I'm going to be talking about on this episode, a Negroni. And it is my very favorite, in part, I think, because it takes a knowing hand to make it. So when I am out, well, when I'm out and I order it, if the bartender has any look of confusion on his or her face, I just say, never mind, just bring me a house Merlot. I have too much respect for the history and the institution of the Negroni to see it raped by a neophyte bartender. (laughs) I got to tell you, I had the best Negroni in Asheville. I took a picture of it. It was so good. And I sold my son on it from that. Oh, I'm so happy. I know they're really good. And I saw your video, by the way, on TikTok. We have a TikTok, Bubbly Bibbly, go follow it. It's funny. You have a very nice bar. Very bougie, girlfriend. Very bougie. Oh, thank you. I love it. Thank you. Well, this week I am reading a book from my book club called The Prayer Box by Lisa Wingate. It's not my normal genre, um, but I'm really looking forward to to the discussion on this book because right now... I'm almost done with it, but right now the heroine is a little on the weak side for me. She gets stronger chapter by chapter, but, you know, that's hard for me. I really like strong, independent heroines in my stories. Yes. Well, speaking of strong and independent, I am listening to an audiobook. It's News of the World by Paulette Giles. And this one was made into a movie with Tom Hanks. And I was kind of hoping that he would be the one reading it, but he isn't. But the one who, the man who's reading it is very good. But it's about a man uh, during the very beginnings of America. And there is this 10 year old girl that has been returned from being captive of an Indian tribe. So, The Indian tribe is all she's ever known. And so they got her away from the Indian tribe. They've given her to this man to return to her family. And she doesn't speak English. She's not used to wearing dresses or shoes. And it is them going from where they are, which is northern Texas, down to San Antonio. And, it, you know, it's going to take them a long time to get there. And it's them getting to know one another and getting to respect and trust one another while coming against everything that's wild in the West at that time. So the reason it's called News of the World is because the main character, the man, he's 71, He goes from town to town and collects a dime per head for people to hear him read newspapers because it's so difficult to get news. 
And so he is bringing the news of the world. And it's very, very good. Now, this was a movie you said? Yes, I, with Tom I Hanks. I've never heard of it. After the quick break, we're going to get down to what caused Carmen and me to need a reading break. I think there are several times in a reader's life that she experiences the need to just put aside that TBR for a moment. And everyone has heard of the dreaded reading slump. And many of the recommendations to deal with the reading slump are the same. Do something else. Stop reading for a little bit. Yes. I think the fact that someone has finished a book and it has had such an impact on the reader, whether it be good or bad, to me is one of the greatest compliments an author can receive. Yes, 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 yes. And I love that you bring that up because I know you have told of at least one read that you wanted to throw across the room when you finished the last page. Uh, Yes. And when that happens, I think you really need to think about why you're reacting that way. I mean, why did the author end the story that way? What is the author trying to tell you? Or how is, are they trying to make you feel like you need to throw the book in the trash can? (laughs) I mean, is there deeper reasons? There always seems to be the one It takes an author years to write the book and a reader has to assume that nothing was left to chance. So why would they end it that way? Mm -hmm. I think it was an editor who said, big X, no, let them die or whatever. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I, I like that. The respect for the author and the entire process of bringing a story to a reader, it really does deserve consideration. And whether it infuriated you, wrecked you, or made you cry from happiness or disappointment, there is an emotion at the end of each book. Well, getting to one of our first title, mine is The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold. This book will rip you from one end to another. It leaves nothing. You have nothing left when you're done with this book. It's about an abduction of Susie Salmon, who is 14, by 36-year-old neighbor George Harvey. It's horrendous, the things that he does to her. First, I mean, he rapes her, rapes her, kills her, dismembers her, buries her. Parents leave all hope that she's just been kidnapped and not killed until... A neighbor's dog shows up with Susie's elbow. I mean... Oh, my God. (laughs) It's really horrendous. But Ruth, who was a classmate, can see Susie's spirit. In fact, when Susie goes to heaven, she flies, I guess. She rushes by um, Ruth, who sees her as she's going to heaven for the first time. And so the whole story is, I mean, everything, everything bad happens to the family. Uh, the little brother ends up being this, you know, I don't know, degenerate, you know, and the parents end up divorcing. I mean, it's just awful. There's nothing good. And the root though, the classmate, takes action to reveal that Harvey's the actual killer. And I mean, he ends up taking her to where he's buried other women and she can see the other women. Oh my gosh. 
you know, she knows it, it wasn't just Susie. It's just, it's a tragic story with nothing to take away from it. There's nothing good. Although Susie closes the story by wishing the reader, quote unquote, a long and happy life. And that's how it ends. I was a wreck the whole time. Didn't they make a movie out of this? They, they did. And of course, it doesn't end the way the book ends. <laughs> oh, you know, I, of yeah. course. Yeah. I, I, most of these books I'm going to talk about, that's the case. Like, don't go to the movie. Read the book. It's much better. Well, it, it always is. Right. Um, well, like I said in the last episode, uh, the book that I gave the first example of was Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. And it's one that I just had to study on, as my grandmother used to say. Let's just study on that um, after the last page. The story itself, I'm not even sure I've, I've ever told you what the story is, but the story deals with an older widow who keeps to her habit of dining at this certain restaurant on New Year's Eve. So she lives in Manhattan and walks to the restaurant. So as she walks, she passes by these very familiar places. Um, and she kind of reflects as she passes them. So she stops in a bar along the way and she has this Negroni. And while she's drinking the Negroni, she thinks about maybe the last time she was there with her husband. And then she goes and she passes a few shops and she does the same. So she'll reflect on taking her children shopping for shoes or stopping for ice cream, or maybe the time her husband surprised her with a piece of jewelry, all from that walk to the restaurant. And, you know, this doesn't resonate just with me. The great thing about this book is that other readers who also loved it, they map her route and you can actually walk the same paths that Lillian did in Manhattan on New Year's Eve. And just because I wanted all of this story to stay in my mind for a while, just kind of swirling and fanning all of those wonderful feelings, I felt like I needed to give it the time it deserved before I opened another one. And that's that's why I had to rest after this one. This sounds like another bubbly bibbly trip to Manhattan. <laughs> yes. There's so much to see and do in there. But we're just beginning, guys. There are so many titles coming up next. Carmen and I are having a great time posting on TikTok. Be sure to check out our videos and interact with them. We want to hear from you and you can stitch or duet with any of our posts. Try it out. Rachel, I've been racking my brain trying to remember the name of that book that you wanted to toss across the room. And I guess one presumes landing in your garbage can. Do you remember which one I'm talking about? Yes. I mean, do you see me? I'm stressing out right now. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. It was me before you. This book made me, left me despaired. Oh, wait a minute. Did it wreck you? Yes. 
And then I saw the movie and I'm the one in the ye- I'm the one in the theater yelling out, that's not in the book. What? Oh, oh my gosh. And it ended completely different. I I don't know what to say. I, oh, hold on. I got to calm down a second. Oh, okay. So it's about this ordinary girl, Louisa or Lou, who takes this badly needed job uh, working for this like self-opposed like adventurer guy who was like you know i need the need for speed kind of he did everything athletic there was to be will who is now wheelchair bound after an accident you know he was doing one of those wild and things and she goes in on the job and she's not taking it easy with them she doesn't walk around on eggshells like everybody else everybody else is like oh poor will Oh, this, you know, like treating him like a baby. And she's like, what's with this, you know? And of course, these two have nothing in common and it brings them together. She learns that Will wants to end his life. So she sets out to show him that life is still worth living. And the whole thing just broke my heart. I'm sitting here trying not to cry as I'm telling you about it. And I took the book when I was done Oh, oh my gosh, in despair, crying, and I threw it into my trash can. I, I will, <laughs> and of course, I, and then I went to the movie. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I'm glad you answered that because I was going to ask that question. But isn't there a, a sequel? Is there? Is, is there one called Me After You? I haven't read it because I, this one tore me apart. I don't even know. There might be, but I'm, I'm not going to read it. I don't trust so her. I don't trust Jojo anymore. Uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> don't trust her. Don't trust that girl. Unless it has flowers and it's a rom-com, like a real rom-com, not this crap. I'm not reading it. We're oh. looking at you, Emily Henry. <laughs> yes, I will get Emily Henry, not JoJo. Oh, well, I haven't I haven't read that one, and it sounds like I probably won't. No. Yeah. Um, the next one for me is by Dan Sean, and it's called Await Your Reply. Hmm. This story centers around the individual stories of three characters who end up in kind of an entanglement. And the story goes back and forth between the characters as well as back and forth in time. So you you really have to keep up. And if I remember correctly, the first chapter actually falls somewhere in the middle of the story chronologically. So reading the book is really, it's a little like putting together a puzzle. And I would say it's one of those puzzles where all the pieces are various shades of the same color. Um, because there, there is one theme in the book and that is the sense of self. And, it's it's also a psychological thriller. I think I I'm going to like this book. I, this song you know, may have to put, but you're warning me. And now I'm like, why do I want to put myself through this? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I remember one point uh, at one part in particular that I read. I thought, wait, what? 
what? And I had to reread it to make sure that I had correctly understood what had just happened. I love books and, like and that, though. I lent this book to a friend, and when she returned it to me, she said, this book was disturbingly weird. <laughs> Uh, which I, I did think summed it up perfectly. So when I put this one down, I needed about a week to think about how the author had brought all of these characters together, the intricate roles that they each played, and finally, how he allowed the reader to untangle all of these pieces. So to me... To finish a book that hits all of these points deserves some kind of afterglow. It sounds like it takes a hot minute to process what happened. Yes. So my next book, not a psychological thriller, but it's My Sister's Keeper by Jodi Picoult. It's about Anna, who's 13, who sues her parents for medical emancipation after she was told to donate a kidney to her older sister, Kate, who's dying from leukemia. In fact, Anna was actually born to save her sister called like a savior, savior twin, a uh, savior. It's called something. Save, save your sibling. That's it. Thank you. And, and they donated her umbilical cord blood to her. So it goes to trial, and she wins her case. She has a great lawyer, in fact, who has, like, seizures and stuff. But after the trial, they're in the car. They're driving back home. She's with her lawyer. And she's even, like, thinking, oh, you know, I think I will give my kidney to Kate. You know. So after all of this, she is right, going to give her she's kidney. she's been reflecting. She just wants to, like... Be the say in her body. You know, yay. Like, why am I born? I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, my body, my choice? Exactly. (laughs) And on the way home, they have a wreck. Anna is brain dead. And her parents, the doctor's like, you have to, if we're going to donate her kidney, now's the time. And her parents and the lawyer agree. And they, she Donates her kidney to Kate. And oh she my ends God. up. Yeah. She ends up, though, uh, on life support for years. And her parents are just wrecked. Uh, Kate ends up living and actually becomes a dancer and some other stuff. And the, there's a, a, a son, a brother in this whole thing. And he ends up doing well. And I don't know. I mean, if you can just imagine, I was crying through this entire book. First off, you have a little girl who's got leukemia since forever, struggling for her life, and you have a son. He's not a match in any way, and they have Kate, who is a match. And it's just, there's so, there's so many medical questions and moral questions and family questions. And when I got done, I mean, first off, the whole having a car wreck, you're like, I mean, I almost threw the book at that point. I'm like, I'm not I mean, even. You're like, are you freaking kidding me? Exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. Like you had that poignant moment in the courtroom. And I just, I, uh, it took me, it took me about a week on this one as well. It just took me a minute. So, yeah. Now, this is another one that there was a movie. There was. And again, the wrong sister died. They rewrote the entire ending. Why do they do that, Rachel? I, I don't know. It has, you know, the the author. It takes the author years to write this book, and when an author writes a book, part of his or her soul goes into it. And exactly. for a screenwriter to totally change it to be an audience uh, pleaser, that pisses me off. I, I don't. It just had like this happy ending feeling at the end of the movie which you were like yeah. Mm. yeah but again so you saw this one yes <laughs> I, it's See, like a it's like a cult like a canker sore in your mouth you always have to keep <laughs> touching it so when it comes out i'm like well of course i'm gonna see it to see if it's as bad in person as it is reading it and it you always know, I'm, is i'm not a movie goer um it, it takes a lot to get me to the movie. And so I, I don't see a lot of these. Um, but uh, I, I read a book a few years ago that was written in a format unlike any I had ever read. And it is a book that I, do, I feel like I talk about often. It's called Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. It's about Abraham Lincoln losing his son, Willie, which happens during the Civil War. And Lincoln is just disconsolate. And newspapers at that time actually did report that the president would go to the crypt several times alone. And this book is the speculation of those times. But what makes this book so wonderful is Saunders' use of the bardo. And I had never heard this term before, but the bardo is a state of suspense for the soul after death. So kind of like a purgatory mm-hmm. where you're just kind of hanging around waiting until you, you go. Um, and it turns out that in this excuse me, in this cemetery, there are several deceased people still in the Bardo, and they serve as really interesting characters, and bonus points to Saunders, they're based on real people. Oh. I know, right? This is on my TBR list, and I'm going to move this up after this episode. Well, so while Willie is in the Bardo trying to figure out what's happening to him, because he's a kid, right? they try to ease him into this new realm, and they're still talking amongst themselves, and sometimes it's freaking hilarious. Uh, they're talking about their families, and they're talking about, well, you should have done this, or you should have done that. <laughs> And then there are those times that President Lincoln comes and he talks to his son and he grieves and he thinks he's alone. 
but he's not. All of these spirits are watching him. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, I just had to stop and consider some of the components of this story. And I thought about war, losing a child, and the untold grief that must come with that. But I also wanted to look up and learn about these other people. And I just really needed this one to stay with me. I love it. Well, we're going to refresh our drinks and we'll be back for the last of our titles. Okay, so I read earlier this year, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. And this was a wild story. It was about two men. One was the architect, Daniel Hudson Burnham. Burnham, he built the Flatiron Building in New York, Union Station. Um, He also um, consulted with the Vanderbilts, Um, you know, famous worldwide. And the other one was Henry H. Holmes, which is a young doctor, I'm putting that in quotations, who was a murderer. So Burnham overcomes a lot of obstacles to help build the White City, which was at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, and everything that was going about it. I mean, like, it was in a swamp, <laughs> so they had to make it not a swamp. Uh, there were fires and... Uh, tradesmen and it was just crazy what all he had to do and that's not even to mention the the men he was working with and people in New York were trying to take it over and things like that it was just so much details in what was going on with preparing the with the world's fair and Holmes is a cunning serial killer who used the lure of the fair to find his victims who were all women And he would take advantage of them and kill them. In fact, he ended up building a a murder room in one of his homes. And what he would do is he would hire, well, it's what we would call now day laborers. Or he would kill someone. He would kill the the contractor who's like, why are you building a soundproof room? (laughs) That kind of thing. That's locked and you can't get out. And... You can wash the floors down and there's a drain in the middle. Like, hmm. So you wouldn't think that these two men could be written in the same story, but Larson did this magnificent job displaying the total obsession they both had for this world's fair and how It was so important. I didn't even realize. I mean, I knew it was a big deal, the World's Fair, but I didn't understand the historic significance of it. And it was just, it was a good read, but it took me a minute. And um, there was so much history behind all of them and just the tragic stories of all of these murderers. So I don't know. I, I had to take a minute after that. Like, I definitely went to Emily. I probably read the book lovers after I read this one because it was there was a lot to take in. It wasn't it was a not a thin book either. It was pretty thick because there was a lot to cover. A lot of details. It was really good, though. I, I 
I read this one. Um, Henry Holmes was the first American serial killer. Right. And and you're right. What he did is he would hire different contractors or different laborers Mm -hmm. to build different things so that no one person knew the layout or what he was building. Um, But there was it was also very interesting. The landscape architect that came in to to solidify some of these the thing around swamps. the white city yeah yes 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 and it, it was uh the the whole thing was quite a fate and it, it, it was a very it was, it was very, ama- very good that's book. a really good it's a really good read but you need to like plan on taking a minute it's a long read lots of details and then yeah you have to process it somehow it is intense. Um, well, mine's going to be totally different. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I cut my reading teeth on Danielle Steele. And yes, girl. Everybody she, did, I think. <laughs> I think everybody of a certain age did, for sure. She was a great author to read as a hormonal young adult in the late 80s and early 90s. And so I read books like The Promise and Fine Things and The Ring. It really was her heyday. Yeah. And her books were the stuff of made-for-TV movie dreams. I love it. Uh, I always what, think of, like, the 90s dynasty and women like that. Oh, totally. Yes. Totally. And the one thing about Danielle Steele is that her books are really not all the same, which is just amazing to me. So there are torn families, uh, females climbing male corporate ladders, first loves and all that. And that's what made me love them so much. But then I read Zoya. And this <laughs> is where Danielle and I parted ways. So Zoya is a story set during the Russian Revolution and the title character is a cousin to the czar. And it just goes downhill from there. Every single terrible thing that can happen to a person happens to Zoya. You know, I read this probably 30 years ago, and I can still remember thinking, are you fucking kidding me? Right. When something bad would happen to her again. I think I did finish it, but it was out of a sense of completion and not because I was riveted. I, I am... I am sure that by the end, I didn't care whether she lived or died because <laughs> I probably wanted to, to kill off her character. Kind of like uh, in the Bible where Job's wife says, curse God and die already. Well, what, I, I mean, think I felt that way about Zoya. I mean, you just didn't even like her character. Did she not handle well, no, the stuff well or was she... It, it didn't matter because, you know, it's like, number one, her house burns down. Number two, her baby gets killed. Number three, her, the husband that she finally found to accept her dies. Number four, her car sets on fire and she loses a leg. I mean, you know, th- these things are not the things that happen. I'm just making this shit up. Yeah, but, and then her dog uh, dies. And, right, I get Yes, you. yes. Right. And then and like, at the end, already. her gallbladder. <laughs> goes bad <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah I, I it was just too much well that's funny my next book is it ends with us by colleen hoover this is really 
a good book. I read this probably the end of last year or beginning of this year. It's a just a heart-wrenching story. It's about Lily, who has worked hard for everything she's had in life. I mean, everything. She's got like a little flower shop. She's got it all set up. She's cute, adorable. Um, and she sparks up this relationship with this gorgeous neurosurgeon named Ryle. And everything is a little too good to be true. Then the shoe drops. Or wait, is that Lily dropping down the stairs after Ryle throws her down? Oh, damn. Yes. So the story goes into breaking the cycle of abuse. And it's a really tough subject, but Colleen does it brilliantly. Um, This is a book, though, that you really do have to pause and reflect on what you read because in the book, Lily has to decide what is good for her. And I think sometimes we as women really do need to make sure and have that have that question every so often or whatever, but especially if you're in an abusive situation. And then in February, Colleen Hoover posted on her Instagram that she has written a sequel called It Starts With Us. And that's coming out in October. And I can't wait because... So in this whole story, there's another boy from her past that is there. And it starts with us is from his point of view. Oh, I know. Right. It's going to be good. This is a good book. And, you know, it, you know, it ends with us. You, you kind of know, like, OK, there's something here that's not working. I mean, I knew it going in, but um, Colleen Hoover is really a, a brilliant writer. Um and um, she makes it digestible, the mm-hmm. not the abuse, but the actual trying to break that cycle. And she puts yeah. it in such a lovely and like hopeful way that allows the reader to sort of follow Lily. Well, you know, that's one of the benefits of reading is seeing things from other people's perspectives, even victims. And that is an important part of us having empathy for, for, you know, victims. And the sound of our cheering fans means it's time for some bubbly bibbly talk. We have been putting up quite a few TikTok videos, both individually and together, because you guys know we meet on Tuesdays. Whoop, whoop. Uh, And we really appreciate you watching them. We almost have 500 followers, which amazes us both. And by the way, I do not appreciate the no vote (laughs) on whether or not my periodic table dress was awesome. awesome. You are you are a meanie and it is awesome. We really do appreciate your support for us on social media. And we want to remind you that each like, love, comment, share, repost, stitch, anything else you do to interact with our accounts helps us each and every time. Let us know which books caused you to take a reading break and why. And of course, continue to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and bubblybibbly.com. And remember, Russell Eric Dobda said, taking a break can lead to breakthroughs.